Well, I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to two openings of Scripture, 1 John chapter 4 and Acts chapter 1. We started a series last Wednesday night on the greater one in you, and we want to continue along those lines. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, John speaking to the church, writing to the church, said, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. The them is referring to evil spirits in the world, uh, as he mentions in the previous verses. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Well, that's a positive statement, isn't it? You've already overcome because of the greater one living on the inside of you. Now, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, after Jesus was raised from the dead, he breathed on the disciples in John chapter 20 and says, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And something changed for them. Um, where before they were behind closed doors for fear of the Jews. Now they're openly in the temple praising in God. And it's, the Bible says they're full of joy and um, seeking to do the Father's will. They're not afraid anymore. And some of the, uh, the changes that are identified in them, particularly joy, is a part of the fruit of the Spirit that you can only get and will only begin to manifest after you're born again. It's not for the world, it's for the church. So it seems that the disciples were already born again, but Jesus tells them in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he said, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So the Bible tells us specifically that there are two different works of the Holy Ghost. The one is the, the first is the, the work that he does in us when we're born again. It's a work of salvation. But then the second work is what he's talking about here in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 for the disciples after they were born again to receive power but you shall receive power after the holy ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in jerusalem and judea and samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth jesus said well we looked last week if you remember if you were with us and and remember uh we looked last week at the five times in the new testament five times in the book of acts where it speaks of someone either an individual or a group were filled with the holy ghost and in three of the five, the Bible says specifically that they spoke with other tongues. The other two, Paul was one of the uh, uh, examples, one of the five examples. We know he spoke with tongues because he said so. We don't know when he started speaking in tongues, but we'd have to add to or take away from the word, alter it in some way or another, to suppose or conclude that Paul began to speak with tongues at some other place other than when he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and that wouldn't make sense. We wouldn't have a scriptural foundation to do so. The other time, the, the last of the five, where the Bible doesn't say specifically that they spoke with other tongues, it does tell us that Simon, the sorcerer, the guy that was the con man of the city, he got saved, and, uh, and he saw when Paul, when, uh, excuse me, Peter and John laid their hands on the the new converts, those who had been born again in Samaria, it said he saw that the giving of the Holy Ghost came through the laying on of hands. And he offered money to Peter and John. He wanted to buy the power to lay hands on people that they re received the Holy Ghost too. And Peter answers and says that you have your heart's not right, Simon. You think you can buy this and this is a gift of God. This is not something that comes by purchase. But he said this, he said, you have no part nor lot in this matter. And the word matter is the word utterance, other places in the New Testament. It's talking about words that are spoken. So when he said, you have no lot, no uh, lot, part nor lot in this matter, he's literally talking about something that Simon has already seen, the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost or the infilling of the Holy Ghost, that Peter identifies by the words that he uses as con uh, connected to, or associated with the spoken word. 
So we have to assume that they received the same evidence of being filled with the Holy Ghost as everybody else did in the New Testament when they were filled with the Holy Ghost, which was the same in the book of Acts, the same in the beginning on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I want to draw your attention again to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 because Jesus did not say, but you shall receive tongues after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That's not what he promised. He said, you shall receive power. Yet we see in everyone either directly uh, attributed to or directly stated, specifically stated, or other places where it's implied through the language as we spoke about in Acts chapter 8 where the Samaritans were filled. We see in every situation the connection with speaking in tongues and being baptized or being filled with the Spirit of God. So therefore, we have to conclude that when Jesus said, you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, since the evidence every time, either directly or indirectly, is identified by speaking in tongues, we've got to associate, therefore, the connection between power, the power of God, the power of the Holy Ghost, and speaking with other tongues. They have to be connected. If Jesus said, and since Jesus said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, then the Holy Ghost comes upon the church, and they began to speak with other tongues. There has to be a connection between the tongues and the power. Has to be. Now turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul writing to the church at Corinth, trying to correct some unusual things that are happening. The, uh, the idea that we get from what Paul writes to the church is that when everybody comes together, there's a lot of the church service that's spent speaking in other tongues. It seems that that's all the Corinthian church wanted to do. I think it begs the question, why? Why would a church want to speak in tongues at the expense? Paul identifies that there were things that they were doing that were out of order. But why would they put such an emphasis on speaking with other tongues if they did not associate it with some kind of spiritual benefit? Paul goes on to tell them that it would be better to use their own language, which would be the Greek language, I assume. It would be better for them to speak in a language where everybody could understand so that the, the church service edifies everybody instead of just the ones that are doing the speaking in tongues. But again, they have associated some kind of benefit, even though they're operating out of order, not handling things in the best way. The very fact that they want to spend their church services speaking in other tongues identifies that they have attached or realized some kind of spiritual benefit from speaking in other tongues. Let's start in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Notice, we're just going to pick out some scriptures here. Notice in verse 2, it said, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. One translation, it's Weymouth's translation, says he speaketh divine secrets. Now, folks, I don't understand why people don't get this. It's so clear. The reason that there is so much controversy about tongues and there's no more controversy there used to be in the church a controversy about the baptism of the holy ghost but there is none anymore but there is a controversy about tongues that's why you've got some of the church world saying well i'm filled with the holy ghost because i've got the fruit of the spirit in my life galatians chapter 5 talks about nine different things that are identified as the fruit of the spirit love joy peace long-suffering gentleness goodness faithfulness meekness and temperance 
And you've got a portion of the church that says, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost because we've got the love of God. Well, that is a work of the Holy Ghost in you through salvation. But that's not the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's what that condition was where the church was in John chapter 20 before the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Ghost came on them and fell upon them. The controversy is not about the Holy Ghost. The controversy is about tongues. Now, if you were the devil and you knew the connection between spiritual power, the power that Jesus spoke about in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, and speaking in other tongues, where would you try to stir up trouble if not associated with and surrounding speaking with other tongues? Paul, who identifies himself as a uh, speaking with tongues more than the church does, more than this Corinthian church, in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians and verse 17, he said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. He goes on in, chapter, in verse 18, he said, yet in the church I'd rather speak five words with my own understanding, that means in the Greek language, I assume, than 10,000 words in other tongues that I might teach others by my voice also. Now here's something I, I want you to, to, uh, uh, to understand something I want you to see in the word for yourself, and that is Paul knew the proper use and operation of tongues in the church. How? Who taught him? How did Paul understand how tongues were supposed to work in the church? Clearly he does because he's directed by the Holy Ghost to bring correction to the Corinthian church. How does he know? See, Jesus said when he was raised from the dead before the day of Pentecost, after he told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem, Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. One of the five things he mentions as a sign of a believer, a Christian, somebody that's been born again, is that they would speak with new tongues. So Jesus, even though he never spoke with tongues, because he was not of this dispensation, he was of the previous dispensation, he wasn't of the day of the church when he was here on the earth, He was here to fulfill the law and be the sacrifice for mankind. He knew that tongues were going to be a part of this new day dispensation or this church age dispensation. But he never spoke in tongues himself because he was not a part of it while he was here on the earth. But he knew that speaking in tongues was going to be an important part to identify the church. So much so that he said that it's one of the signs of those that believe in his name. They'll speak with new tongues. Well, how did Paul learn about how... Tongues are supposed to operate. What did he know? Let's look back at chapter 14 again. Notice in verse 4, Paul said, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. The word edify means to build up. Strong's Concordance uses the example or the illustration of putting a roof on the house. It completes the project. It completes the, the building. If you look at the Greek word, that's used, you'll find that it has even a greater application in our modern-day language and understanding. It means to charge up like a battery. So it says, he that speaketh an unknown tongue charges himself up like a battery. He's talking about spiritual edification, spiritual power. Now, you know as well as I do that you do everything within your power to keep your smartphones and your tablets charged up. We go to elaborate charging stations at our homes. We've got wires running everywhere to make sure that we don't run out of charge for our computers and our smartphones and tablets and whatever other gadgets and gizmos we've got. If the church 
would put the same effort into keeping their, themselves spiritually charged up as we do our smartphones. The glory of God will sweep the earth. But that's exactly what this word means. It's exactly what it's trying to convey to us. He that speaks in an unknown tongue charges himself up like a battery. Now, Jesus must have considered that important enough to make that a, a, a part of, a prominent part of the power of the Holy Ghost and the power of the Holy Ghost coming on the church. He didn't say you'd receive tongues. He said you'd receive power. But what the evidence turned out to be was speaking in other tongues. So there's got to be that connection again. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself, but he that prophesies edifies the church. Notice again, I've already mentioned these verses in verse uh, 18 and 19. I may have misquoted them before. So look at verse 18. Paul said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church. So apparently God didn't use Paul in tongues and interpretation much in the church. In church services. Doesn't mean that's wrong. Just means it wasn't the way that God used him. He said, yet in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that my, by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Now think about what Paul is saying. He is clearly identifying that his major purpose in church services is to teach. He understands the importance of teaching the church. And he's saying, if I spoke with other tongues the whole service, like some of you guys are trying to do in your own services, nobody's going to understand what's being said. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. So speaking in other tongues is not going to help you. If I speak in other, other tongues, it's not going to help you. It may help me, it'll edify me and charge me up spiritually, but it won't help you. So Paul, in trying to emphasize or in making the emphasis on helping the church know and understand the things of God, said, I thank God that I speak with tongues more than all of you, yet in the church I'd rather use my own voice so that you could hear and understand. So therefore, Paul must have seen a connection between teaching and speaking in tongues. In other words, he's saying, I speak with tongues before the church starts. So that I'll have something to reveal to you about God's plan and purpose. What other conclusion can we draw from those scriptures? Now I know some people will say, take verse 19 out of the setting and say, well, Paul said in the church, he'd rather not speak in other tongues. So he took a very dim view of speaking in tongues. Well, you don't take a dim view of something you thank God for, do you? He said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than all of you. It's just not in the church that God uses him in that way. So he sees the power of God made available for the work that he has, that God has for him to do, which is teaching the church, made available by speaking in other tongues. I don't have any doubt that he received the revelation of how, the, how tongues interpretation and so forth is supposed to work in the church, along with a lot of other things, by speaking in other tongues. Let me say it in another way. Much of the revelation Paul received was as a result of speaking in other tongues. And I believe that's what he's saying. He's certainly going to teach the things that have been revealed to him. And he sees that as the important piece or the predominant part of his ministry is teaching, teaching in the church.
So what does he do? Well, let's back up to verse 13. Or verse 14, I'm sorry. Paul said, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. One of the great benefits of speaking in other tongues and one of the reasons why speaking in tongues edifies you or charges your spiritual uh, spirit up like a battery is because it's a direct connection between your spirit, the real you, the man on the inside, the one that's born again, the one where the love of God dwells and resides, the one where the greater one lives. A direct connection between your spirit and the spirit of God. The Amplified says it this way, and I think it's real good. It says, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit by the Holy Spirit in me prayeth. But my understanding is unfruitful. Notice spiritual power, that spiritual connection, that spiritual edification bypasses your mind initially. It's spirit to spirit contact. Well, how important is that? I don't know of anything any more important than that. It's a way for you to be built up. It's a way for God to speak to you. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 11, I think it is, it says, with stammering lips and another tongue will I speak unto this people. It doesn't say with stammering lips and another tongue, this people will speak to me. God said, I'll speak to them through it. So there's got to be a two-way communication going on then. It's not just you speaking in tongues and not getting any benefit from it. Isaiah 26 speaks of you speaking in tongues and God speaking back to you. That has to be revelation. That has to be the way revelation comes. So Paul says, what is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding. Notice you do both by your own will. You know that you could start praying in, uh, in uh, English out of your mind anytime you wanted to and continue it for as long as you did want to. You could start and stop it according to your will. Paul says you can do the same thing in tongues. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit. It's a function of my will. And I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit and sing with the understanding also. So he's saying that speaking in other tongues can be used as a means of worship. Singing with the spirit would be worshiping God, wouldn't it? One of the, um, uh, well, on several of the occasions in the New Testament, several of the five occasions when people were spoke with tongues, it says that those around were uh, astonished, like in Acts chapter 10 at Cornelius' house. The Jews were astonished. That the Holy Ghost was poured out upon them. How did they know? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So speaking with tongues can be used as a means of magnifying God. Now what does it mean to magnify God? Can God get bigger than he already is? No. But he can become bigger to us than he might have been before. It's a means of magnifying God in your life and in your situation and in your spiritual walk. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I'll pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit and I'll sing with the understanding also. Notice he says in verse 16. Else when thou shalt bless with the spirit, how shall he that occupies the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understands not what you say. Notice he speaks of speaking in tongues as a means or a method of giving thanks. A part of worship. He says, since it's not spoken unto men, but unto God. God's the only one that's going to know what you said. But when we do praise God, worship God, bless God in other tongues, it brings that edification and many times it brings revelation. 
there are numerous stories and illustrations I could give you along this line. I know that Brother Hagin talked about one time when he was uh, uh, pastoring a church in Texas. He said that um, the day before, the Saturday before his Sunday services, he said that he, he was just impressed to speak in tongues and spoke in tongues for many hours. I think it was seven or eight hours, he said, during the day. He said it wasn't like he was on his knees in his prayer closet the whole time, but he was going about his business, doing things that needed to be done, taking care of getting the church ready for the service the next morning and things like that. But he said, I was just speaking in tongues all day long. He said, I couldn't stop. And when he says he couldn't stop, that doesn't mean God wouldn't let him stop. It means he just felt impressed. Every time that he quit, he started back up again. He just felt impressed to spend as much time speaking in tongues as he could. And he said, I thought it was for the church service that was coming up the next morning. I thought God's getting me ready for the church service. He said, but late that evening on Saturday, later in the day, he said after he'd spent seven or eight hours, probably full, you know, total up altogether, speaking in tongues, he said a member of his church brought her sister for Brother Hagin to lay hands on and to pray for him. And she was had already been committed to the mental institution. And they were going to take her in on Monday, going to commit her on Monday. And Brother Hagin said as soon as she walked up to the front door of the parsonage and knocked on the door and, saw, and he saw what was going on, he said, I instantly knew what I'd been praying in tongues about the whole day. Well, long story short, he wound up casting the devil out of this woman. She was in her 40s, I guess. She was completely set free, went in on Monday, had the same doctor that committed her, declared that she was completely free, completely healed, clear in mind and body and so forth, just totally delivered. It was an instantaneous thing. Now, I asked Brother Hagin about that story. I said, why did you need to pray in tongues to be ready to do that? And he reminded me of Jude, Jude, one chapter in the book of Jude, verse 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. So Jude 20 tells us another benefit, or maybe he's just using different words, different languages, concerning the same benefit of spiritual edification or spiritual charging. Speaking in other tongues is a means and a method to stimulate your faith. It doesn't give you something you don't already have. We already got the power of the Holy Ghost to overcome every situation. But it can stimulate our faith to use it. Jim Andrews, a good friend of mine that pastors in uh, Lima, Peru, has for many, many years, told me about a, a situation where he had a Saturday before the, his Sunday services. Same kind of thing. He just kept speaking in tongues all day long. It just seemed to be a river flowing out of him for many hours of that day. And then the next day in the, in the service, there was somebody that came in in a wheelchair and God prompted him to speak life and healing to that guy. And he, walked about, he wound up walking out of the wheelchair. And he understood. It became clear to him during the church service and with the circumstances of this guy's sickness, a crippling condition, crippled condition. He said, I understood what I was praying about in other tongues all the day before. God was getting me ready. Well, one of the things the Bible says, Jesus said the Holy Ghost would do is he'd show you things to come. We think that means he'll, he'll uh, play it in front of us like a TV screen. But that's not often the way it works. 
Many times he's showing you things to come by prompting you to pray in other, other tongues to prepare yourself or to be prepared for something you don't even know is coming. Now, like I said, I could tell you story after story after story of things like that, and, and almost all of those stories are ministry-related. But I think people get the wrong idea that these things happen for those that are involved in ministry and don't happen in the same way for other people. And that's just not true. See, whatever God has given you to do in life, he wants you to be supernaturally empowered to do it. He doesn't just want you to be supernaturally empowered for ministry. He wants you to be supernaturally empowered in your life, in your job, in the work that he's given you to do. Let me tell you a story. This happened many, many years ago. When we first started the church in January of 1986, we started in a school building. And we stayed in that school building in Mission Viejo for uh, probably three, three and a half years, close to that anyway. And um, after we'd been there for a few years, we realized that we needed our own place, some place that we didn't have to go in and tear down and all the equipment and set it up every week and that type of thing. We just needed our own facility. So we found a place in Irvine, just behind the Irvine Auto Center on Watney. And uh, so we looked at it. We uh, tried to identify as best as we could whether it would work. And we found a place that, that would work for us. And so we understood that we were going to have to get a, what the city of Irvine uh, identifies as a conditional use permit to make alterations to the building for fire safety codes and all that kind of stuff. Everything needed to be done so we could use it for church services because the building wasn't built. It was an industrial building, and it certainly wasn't built to have congregations and a large number of people in, so we had to make some adjustments to the building. Well, what we didn't know is that two days before we wound up taking possession of the building that we rented and were planning to renovate, there was another church, big church, a lot of people that had taking possession of a place just two doors down. Same street, just two doors down the road. And it had not gone well. There was something, the church had been there for several months. And um, something happened, the church blew up. People were scattered and it was big news. Well, I don't know why I didn't know it, but I didn't know it. Didn't even know where the other church was. Didn't have any clue what was going on. But as soon as we walked into the city planning office... We, I did, to try to find the, find the, get the application, find out what we needed to do to make adjustments to the building. They told me about what had happened down the road, just two, two stores down the road, two buildings down the road. And they thought we were an offshoot of them. So they said, oh, you're part of such and such church. I said, no, we're not a part of anybody. And they said, well, didn't you hear what happened to them? And as I understand the story, they wound up using their building before they ever got the conditional use permit, never did make the adjustments to the building and the fire safety codes, upgrades, and all that kind of stuff. There were people in the city government that were part of the thing, and so they kind of cut them some slack and let them cut a, cut a lot of corners to get into the building. And it, when it blew up, it blew up in everybody's face. There were people that lost their job in the city planning office. and So it was, not, it was a situation that nobody wanted to touch with any length of pole. You know what I mean? Well, when they thought we were part of them, then they just automatically assumed that we were going to do the same thing, cut the same corners, fail to, to com bring the building up to compliance, and, and that kind of stuff. 
And so they, they wound up telling us, you'll never get a conditional use permit for this building. Nobody wants to touch this thing. That was their opening line, so to speak. Well, we are, we've already signed the lease. We're on the hook for the building. We've got to make it work. We can't pay for a building that we don't use. So we started through the process. And the conditional use process, they uh, said, or we found out uh, from other sources, was a, a process that should have taken three months. It takes about three months to get all the adjustments made under normal conditions and get through the city planning office. And then, uh, then you have an opportunity to make the adjustments and change in the building codes and so forth for the fire safety issues. It took us 18 months. We got to the place finally where the, um, the city manager told us flat out that we couldn't get a conditional use permit without his signature and he'd never sign it. When we began to dig a little bit deeper and try to find out, well, what are the issues? You know, it's got, this can't be a problem that can't be fixed. There's no such thing. The problem can be fixed. We just need to know what the fix is. Well, they weren't interested in in the problem being fixed in any way whatsoever. They just didn't want us to use the building. And so they blamed it on the fire department. And so we started doing some digging there and started trying to find out what was going on. And we found out, this was after, uh, well, it was close to the year and a half. It was right close to the end of the project that, that we finished in 18 months. We found out from the fire department by accident, if you believe in those, that they had signed off, that they weren't the holdup. So when we found out that they weren't the holdup and that they had signed off, that means that the set of plans at the, at the city planner's office had the fire department's signature. Now, if we can get the plans with the fire department's signature on them, then we've got some grounds to deal with the city manager and try to complete the project and so forth. So we went down to, uh, I went down to the city planner's office or plan check department and I asked for the plans. And the guy pulled up on the computer, the case and all the notes and that kind of stuff. And he says, oh, he said, I see that your project has been red flagged. Well, we'd been around long enough to know what that meant. That means big trouble. And I said, well, I'm not sure about that. I said, we're looking to get a copy of the plans that the fire department has, has stamped and approved of. Now, folks, I knew this was coming. For the a week before, pretty close to a week before, several days anyway, I knew that this was coming. And I just don't like to deal with this kind of stuff. I didn't like the fact that they were publicizing that they wouldn't, what they wouldn't do for us and everybody knew us when we came in there or found out who we were and said, oh, that's the project type stuff. And to be real honest with you, it scared the bejeebers out of me. I didn't sign on for this. God said, go pastor. He didn't say fight the city, you know, but that's what it turned into. So I'd spent a lot of time thinking about this situation, trying not to worry about it, making the right confessions and so forth. But the day before I went down there, the only thing that would quiet my mind was speaking in other tongues. The Old Testament says of speaking in other tongues, this is the rest and this is refreshing. Sometimes praying in tongues is the only thing that you can do to quiet your mind. Thank God it does that. So I spent a lot of time. Every time I'd think about it and I'd be tempted to worry, 
What are we going to do if this happens? What are we going to do if they won't give, it to the, give us the plans? What are we going to do? Type stuff. I just start praying in other tongues. And I think there's a benefit in a lot of cases. It certainly was for me in this case. That you don't know what you're saying when you speak in other tongues. I think that's a plus. So anyway, I went down there and told him what we wanted. And he laid the plans. He pulled the plans out and he laid the plans on the table or the counter where he was standing. He's on one side of the counter. I'm on the other side of the counter. And so I started uh, thumbing through the plans to get to the page where the fire department would stamp it and sign it approved. And he said, as I'm standing there at the counter, he said, well, I can let you look at them, but this is part of the property of the city since you submitted the plans. These plans don't even belong to you anymore. He said, you can't have these plans. There's a note on this file stating that you are under no circumstances to be given access to these files or this, to these plans. And so I said, so you're not even supposed to let me see these, right? He said, yeah, that's right. I kept turning pages. Finally, I got to the page where the, uh, the fire department signs off, and there it was, biggest life. They had stamped it approved and had the fire chief's signature on it. And so I said, uh, I said, well, this is what I'm looking for. And he said, you can't have these. You can't have these. So I started rolling them up. I said, okay, thank you for your time. And he said, you can't have these. He must have said 50 times, you can't have these. I've got them under my arm walking out the door, and he's saying, you can't have these. You can't have these. He made absolutely no effort whatsoever to stop me. Now, he did everything that he was supposed to do in telling me that I can't have them. But I walked out of there with him saying, you can't have these. Now, folks, I don't know what happened. But I know that speaking in tongues about it helped. I know God made a way for us when the people that were in charge and the people that had the things in their possession were saying, it can't happen. The end of the story was it was just a few weeks later that we were able to use these. The fire chief wasn't willing to be used as a scapegoat. So the city manager that said we'd never get his signature is the one that signed the papers for us to start having church in that building. Now, the reason I use that instead of a ministry uh, example or an example of the power of God for healing or something like that is because the Holy Ghost is your helper. And the only way that you, it's not just, healing is not just the only thing you need help in ministering. Healing is not the only thing that you need help with. The power of God that delivers somebody is not the only thing you need help with. We need help on our jobs, don't we? We need help in our homes. We need help when circumstances and situations of life raise its head against us to stop us from doing or having what God's word says we can have. Don't we? People that spend time praying in other tongues to prepare themselves for their jobs are the ones that find solutions that nobody else can find. They're the ones that get the help. They're the ones that have the standby, the greater one standing by to help. They're the ones that have access to it. Paul said, I thank my God I pray with tongues more than you all, speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church... I'd rather speak five words with my own voice than 10,000 words in another tongue. He's not saying I don't speak with tongues. In fact, he's saying just the opposite. I speak with tongues more than all of you. But the reason that he's speaking with tongues, and I believe the reason that he has a a revelation, he was the only one that seemed to have it, about how tongues uh, tongues and interpretation and other spiritual gifts are supposed to work in the church, 
is because he spent so much time speaking in other tongues. Folks, I can tell you with, without hesitation, the least bit of hesitation, most of the things that I see in the Word, and I guess I see things that some other people don't see because people always tell me that. I never saw that. Everything I've ever gotten from seeing in the Word and re- the, the Word being revealed to me has come as a result of speaking in other tongues. I just see things people don't see. Well, that's not because I'm different, although I think I am. It's not just because of my makeup. It's not because of my personality. There are other people that have my personality. So bad for them, too bad for them. But there are other people that have my personality or a similar personality and they don't see things like I do. Why me? Because it's what God's given me to do. And the more I speak with other tongues, the more things I see. Well, why would it work for me just because I'm in the ministry and not work for you if the Holy Ghost is the same for everybody? It won't just work for me. It'll work for you. It'll work for anybody. Anybody that gives themselves over to doing it. One of the things that, one of the real benefits, I believe, of being filled with the Holy Ghost and with the evidence of speaking in other tongues is that it reminds you of who's in the, on the inside of you. You can't forget God's in there when you have to trust the Holy Ghost to give you utterance in other tongues. All this idea about, I feel like I'm a million miles away from God. You can't feel that way if you speak in other tongues regularly. Because you're reminded that he's always there because he's the one that's giving you utterance. He's the one that's giving you the words to speak. He's not the one doing your praying. God doesn't do the praying for us. We're the ones that speak in other tongues. We're the ones that are praying praying in the spirit. But it's a constant reminder that he's right there all the time. God will show you things if you'll give yourself over to speaking in other tongues and making it a part of your regular prayer life. Everybody. I believe more and more, I believe it's more and more important the further we go in this life, the closer we get to Jesus' return. I believe it's more important now than it was 20 years ago for us to speak in other tongues. I believe it's more important for us to build ourselves up spiritually, charge ourselves up spiritually, not let our spiritual power run down by speaking in other tongues. I believe that's more important now than it's ever been. I believe it'll be more important tomorrow than it is today, but it's never been more important than it is now. Praying in other tongues strengthens you spiritually. The point I'm trying to get across tonight, the thing that I was impressed by the Lord to emphasize, is that too often we look at the spectacular things, like Brother Hagin casting the devil out of that woman so she didn't have to go in the mental institution, or Jim Andrews ministering to that cripple, setting him free from a paralyzed condition that he'd had most of his life. Most of the times we look at that, we look at super... Or, uh, I'm, Excuse me, let me get this right. We look at spectacular displays of the power of God and we think that's the work of the Holy Ghost. But we don't realize that the supernatural work of the Holy Ghost is what's promised, not spectacular. And as Brother Hagin used to say, a lot of people miss the supernatural by looking for the spectacular. But it's just as supernatural when the Holy Ghost gives you an answer to a problem on your job or shows you what to do with your finances or shows you how to solve a problem in your home life or your family situation or whatever the case might be. That's just as supernatural as somebody getting somebody up and healing them from a paralyzed condition. That's just as supernatural 
as being set free from that woman being set free from this mental illness, whatever the demon was that was causing it. That's just as supernatural as that. May not be as spectacular, but it's just as important to God. Paul said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. It's a means of spiritual edification, spiritual empowerment. It's when you charge yourself up spiritually for whatever God has given you to do. Now, I don't know what he's given you to do, but whatever it is, you need the help of the Holy Ghost to do it. Whatever it is. I believe we always need the help of the Holy Ghost, don't you? So whatever it is that you've been given to do, you need supernatural help to accomplish it. And God's made provision for you to have it through the infilling of the Holy Ghost and his benefit of speaking with other tongues. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much, Father, for providing for us the greater one that puts us over in life. Jesus told his disciples, and therefore he told us, that it was better for us that he go away. Because if he didn't go away, then the comforter wouldn't come. But thank God the comforter has come. He's our strengthener. He's our standby. He's our intercessor. He's our advocate. He's our helper in every respect. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that we always hear and know your voice. Thank you that you provide for us power to charge ourselves, empower ourselves spiritually. It's a means of making direct connection with the Holy Ghost through speaking with other tongues. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you lead us, that you guide us, and that you help us in our jobs, in our families, in our lives. We rest in you, Holy Spirit. We trust you to lead us and guide us, to direct us according to God's plan and purpose. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that we're never without comfort, we're never without strength, because you live on the inside of us. We love you, Father. And we rely on you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, let's all stand. Glory to God. Let's lift our hands and just thank God for the Holy Ghost on the inside of us. We thank you, Father. Thank you that you've given us the greater one. We've already overcome the work of the enemy in this world. Because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Forgive us, Holy Spirit, where we fail to rely on you. We promise you that we'll not continue to operate in the same fashion. We'll trust you. We'll rely on your strength. We'll spend time praying in other tongues. As we go about our daily business, as we ride in the car, as we take care of the things that we need to do, we thank you that we have the privilege of speaking in other tongues to build ourselves up. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for always being there to help us. You never leave us or forsake us. You're always there with our help. In Jesus' name, amen. 
You know, that's all God wants. He just wants you to rely on him. Just wants you to trust him. That's all he wants. It's not a hard thing. And it pays rich, rich dividends. Amen? Say this after me. The greater one is in me. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And I have overcome because he lives in me. Amen. Thank you for being with us. God bless you guys.